Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Today is Tuesday, October 17th. We are reading from the big book, and we are at page 158, the last paragraph. So you see, there were three, through three paragraphs ending, thus relieving much worry and suffering and commenting on all three paragraphs. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, June S., 12 Traditions, Stacey T., and readers of the text, Nessa R., Lisa H., and Elizabeth H. The reference numbers for Monday, October 16th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 10551, and the 10 a.m. meeting is 10552. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer, our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask June S. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is June S. The 12 steps, number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought to, through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you very much. Thank you for your service, Lynn, and thank you for all. Have a good day. I pass. Thank you, June S. And Stacy T. will read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Stacy T. calling from Cleveland, grateful, recovering, compulsive eater. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself on our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA as such ought never be organized, but our service boards, sorry, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for your service, and I pass. Thank you, Stacy T. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 158, the last paragraph, so you see there were three, through three paragraphs ending with, thus relieving much worry and suffering and commenting on all three paragraphs. I will now ask Nessa R. to begin reading. Hi, good morning. Vision for you is Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Thank you for the opportunity to do service. So, you see, there were three alcoholics in that town 
who now felt that they had to give to others what they had found or be sunk. After several failures to find others, a fourth turned up. He came through an acquaintance who heard the good news. He proved to be a devil-may-care young fellow whose parents could not make out whether he wanted to stop drinking or not. They were deeply religious people, much shocked by their son's refusal to have anything to do with the church. He suffered horribly from his sprees, but it seems as if nothing could be done for him. He consented, however, to go to the hospital where he occupied the very room recently vacated by the lawyer. He had three visitors. After a bit, he said, the way you fellows put this spiritual stuff makes sense. I'm ready to do business. I guess the old folks were right after all. So one more was added to the fellowship. All this time, our friend of the hotel lobby incident remained in that town. He was there three months. He now returned home, leaving behind his first acquaintance, the lawyer and the devil-may-care chap. These men had found something brand new in life. Though they knew it must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober, the motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. They shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. They were willing day by, by day or night to place a new man in the hospital and visit him afterwards. They grew in numbers. They experienced a few distressing failures, but in those cases, they made an effort to bring the, man, the man's family into a spiritual way of living, thus relieving much worry and suffering. So there's, there's a lot here. You know, the first thing that grabbed my attention was the first thing that I read, where it says um, they, now, they now felt they had to give to others what they have found or be sunk. And that is the primary reason for sponsoring. You know, like it says um, right off the bat on page 89, when we start talking about working out with others, it says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. And I've, I've, seen, I've seen that happen. I've seen sponsors uh, of mine who have recovered but who have put off sponsoring because they have no time or they're too busy, their life is too stressful. You know, I'll do it after, you know, after the wedding, you know, after this or after that. And, you know, um, unfortunately, um, you know, they ended up in the food. I mean, quite a few of those experiences. But, you know, uh, although that's the, the primary reason to sponsor, um, I love what it says um, across the page where it says that it becomes secondary, transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves to others. And this is what Dr. Bob said, and I'm going to paraphrase. He said that he sponsors because it gives them immunity, because it's his duty, because it's a way to repay the kindness done to him by his sponsor, and because it's a pleasure. And it is a pleasure. And, you know, we often talk about in the rooms about how we come in here with low self-esteem. And, and you know, we've been looking for self-esteem in all the wrong places, external validation, uh, accolades, you know, you know, job well done, you know, all these things. And the truth is that self-esteem comes through doing esteemable things. It comes from the inside, and there's nothing more esteemable than helping others. You know, and, and I often say in this, in, this, in this line and in this room that the paradox for me was that 
my, when I was pursuing my happiness, I, I was miserable. I was controlling, I was controlling, I was scheming to get everybody to do what I wanted so that I could be happy, and I was miserable, and so was everybody else. But now that I'm recovered and I am uh, sponsoring others and helping others, taking phone calls, returning phone calls, um, I, am, I am happy. I mean, I, I'm not actively working on my own happiness. I am helping others uh, pursue their own happiness, and that's making me happy. And it's just a, it's, a, it's an incredible paradox. It's a beautiful paradox. And I, I, I will end with that, that, you know, page 164, which we read here every day, says you, you cannot transmit something that you haven't got. And so, you know, when, when looking for a sponsor, those who are looking for sponsors, look for recovered people because, you know, it says here um, also that, um, it was, that they found a brand new way of life, you know, it, 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 they knew that they um, must help other alcoholics to stay sober, but staying sober is not the goal. Staying abstinent is not the goal. The goal is to be close to God, and in doing that, you know, um, we have to be recovered. So look for recovered individuals. Uh, it's only recovered individuals who really should be uh, sponsoring because Time. recovered individuals have, thank you, have, have the good. They have what we're looking for. Um, Anyhow, um, and with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Nessa R. It's now time to open the floor for open uh, for sharing. And I ask that you please say your name just once. It helps me hear everybody. Who would like to share on what was just read? Barbara, Barbara Tina G. S. Tina S. Lisa B. Okay, so far I've got Barbara E, Tina S, Lisa B. Sarah W. Harlan G. Okay, we added Sarah W and Harlan G. Let's go with that lineup for right now. I have Barbara E, Tina S, Lisa B, Sarah W., and Harlan G. Barbara E., would you like to start for us, please? I would love to. Thank you so much, Lynn S. and Nessa. Thank you for that wonderful, enlightening share. For the first 50 years of my uh, life, I struggled with the weight. I joined diet clubs. All I wanted to do was get thin. And I felt a, a noose tightening around my neck, ever getting tighter, strangling me. I could not stay stopped. I gained and lost and gained and lost. They say smart people learn from their mistakes and wise people learn from the wisdom of others. I was neither smart nor wise at the time. I just wanted to get down to goal, and I thought I would be normal. But here on page 158, three wise men interested, the three Bs, come to his room, and uh, the, the fellow there says, I guess the old folks were right. You know, mother's chicken soup turned out to be a good thing for getting rid of colds. And when I got to OA, 
and it was 21 years ago. I was willing to learn from the wisdom of others. That's what I had to do. I love the part that says, I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. I could not do this without recognizing that I have a sick brain and I am suffering from an allergy and cravings that will not let me go unless I look to something outside of myself and service to others, remaining sober and remaining sober happy, not dominated by food, not white-knuckling it, not whistling in the dark, trusting that I can experience something I can't touch or see or explain scientifically. What a gift, just as this program is such a wonderful gift to read and understand and hear from people all across the globe, their wisdom and their understanding. Smart people learn wise people learn from the wisdom of others. And that's why I'm here with you today. Thank you so much for being there. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Tina S., it's your turn. And Lisa B., you'll be next. Thanks, Lynn, for your service. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. I'm grateful to be on the line. Some really great stuff. You know, I what really first caught my attention was um, the good news. You know, we found the good news, and and when I got here, that's certainly what I was looking for. You know, because I was defeated and desperate, and uh, and I really needed some good news. And you know, one of the things that I like about the paragraphs that were read is it's all about you know uh, giving this thing away. You know, and, and initially, you know, when I first started sponsoring and giving this thing away, it was not for somebody else. It was for, for my own selfish reasons, and, and that's just the truth. Uh, but today, there's a difference. You know, I do this for the pleasure, like was shared, you know, and I really want to help others. You know, when I l- let my stuff, leave my stuff alone and help someone else, you know, God takes care of my stuff. You know, that's God's business. My business is to be of service and to help others. And, you know, um, and I love that, you know, we grow in numbers. We grow in numbers. And, it, and it's a spiritual way of living today thus relieving much worry and suffering. You know, it's not um, me doing what I can so that I can not eat the foods that trigger me today. It's, um, you know, giving up the high cost of the low living. You know, making that decision after being powerless, unmanageable, and believing that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, to go on with the rest of the steps, to enjoy, you know, this way of life, to have a spiritual awakening as the result. And, and to, you know, to really want others to have what I can, that has been so freely given me one day at a time so that I don't have to live in this disease of food addiction. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Tina S. Lisa B., it's your turn, followed by Sarah W. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you, Lynn S., for your service. And this is a wonderful reading. Um, There's so much stuff here that really jumped out for me. When it says, so you see, there were three alcoholics in that town. So what came to me is and how it works, how it talks about that um, 
that God is the principal and we are his agents. And that's really what I see them doing. They are showing up as agents of God. And then um, I also like where it says, after several failures to find others, a fourth turned up. And what speaks to me on that line is that I need to, oh, excuse me, I need to read and reread the chapter working with others. I need to really study that constantly because I do come across um, many failures and I want to understand how, how I can best be a conduit, you know, how I can best be an agent of God because my way of thinking is, it can be um, not clear, imbalanced, you know, being sometimes overly helpful. Um, so I really need to have an understanding. And then, when it says that these men had found something brand new in life, that's wonderful. I really identify in with that. And I just recently read in step four in the AA 12 and 12, and it says, as we persist, a brand new kind of confidence is born and the sense of relief at finally facing ourselves is indescribable. And that's what I identify with. It's this brand new something in life, you know, of um, it's a sense of freedom, a sense of confidence, it's a sense of joy, um, a sense of being grounded and standing on something that is substantial, that's carrying me, that's going, working through me. And then um, the other thing is they experienced a few distressing failures. And I guess that, again, you know, goes back to maybe they're talking about working with others. And just how I, I really need to be in that work of reading that book. But also they could be talking about just life, you know, and we hear on this line that everything is not perfect when I get recovered. There's still life, but there's that sense of uh, connectedness inside of me to something so much more powerful that gives me a sense of joy and guidance. And then, um, let's see, there was one more thing that was there for me, and it just slipped my mind. So I guess... I guess that's it. I will finish and I pass. And thank you, Lisa B. Sarah W., it's your turn, followed by Harlan G. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you so much for your service. My name is Sarah W. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Iowa. Um, well, you know, I came into program in um, April of 95. And... Um, you know, I, I became abstinent very quickly. I had a big book sponsor that taught me a lot of things. Um, but I've learned a lot of different things along the way. I also had relapse. And I think all of us have our own experiences. And there's no right or wrong. I know for me, this is uh, the path that really works for me as far as living and working the 12 steps. And I have to be very careful how I go about offering that. Um, I started a meeting here in Shenandoah, Iowa, which is a town of 5,500. Um, I also sponsor um, quite a few people, but um, I have to remember that, uh, as was stated, you know, I am just a vessel through which my higher power works, that I have to be very careful of pride and ego getting in there because, you know, my sobriety, my abstinence is not about what I do, although I have to do many things to obtain it and maintain it but it's uh, through the grace of a higher power. And um, I started a meeting about um, two years ago, and um, it became pretty, you know, um, well attended, and then it started to kind of fall off. 
and um, I have at times thought, you know, maybe I need to um, back up. But we have uh, my husband and myself attended, and then another gal uh, who has been very, very committed. And my thinking is, it's not about the quantity; it's about the quality with with anything. And so when I start to feel like, you know, um, am I doing the service that I need to do, or where would, where would God have me be? And I think to myself, you know, it really, um, this, the way we offer service is not so that we get something, it's that we give. And if I feel that uh, God is using me, um, but it's about discernment too. So it's not about the success of how many people, because if there's one person that finds some sort of um, serenity, and I have to go back to step two, which is my very favorite, do I believe that that my my higher power can restore uh, those that I care about and love in this world to sanity? And the last thing I'll say is random acts of kindness. That's huge. It's not just about in the fellowship. And it also is about in our families, how can we give to those people? And with that, I ask thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Harlan G., it's your turn. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for your service. And also, Lynn, I want to thank Team Tuesday for their magnificent service to make this wonderful meeting possible. This Devil May Care chap is Ernie Galbraith. Ernie G. And Ernie G. is a young man that's going to come in and change the face of AA forever. It's said that a smart man learns from his own mistakes and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And Ernie didn't take a lot of the things that they told them seriously. And he is going to go back out and drink again. And he's going to be drunk for a long time. And then he'll finally get sober But before he gets sober, he's going to leave his permanent mark on AA by bonding Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, and Bill Dotson together in their horror at him not taking things so seriously. And he's also going to marry Dr. Bob's daughter, Susan. Before it's all over, Susan will... Uh, marry Ernie Ballbreath, and while they're married, he will go back out and drink, which caused her to resent AA quite a bit, actually. But Ernie taught them through his mistakes what not to do. But before he left, they did form the first three people of that Akron group because Bill Wilson is going to go home after three months to New York. He's there in uh, May. June, July, and in August, he's going to go back to New York. Um, And he's going to help get some of the early Akron groups started. But he did go back out and drink. Now, why is that important to, to bring out? Why is that important to talk about? The reason that that's important to talk about is because we, I believe, need to be reminded at times that this is not some magical mistake-free, easy path to sobriety or abstinence. This takes work. What did Ernie Galbraith prove to us? That this is not a program for people who needed it. He needed it. He was an alcoholic. This is not a program for people who wanted it. 
He wanted it because he wanted to get his church-going parents and his teetotaling parents off of his back. This is a program for people who do it. And he didn't do everything that was in front of him. And he went out to drink, and he stayed drunk for quite some time before coming back and getting sober for the final time. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. For those of us just coming on the line, we're on page 158, the last paragraph. So you see there were three. Through three paragraphs ending, thus relieving much worry and suffering and commenting on all three paragraphs. If you'd like to share, please say your name just once. It helps me hear everybody. This is Larry from Boston. Melissa Shane. Helen L. Laura H. Ann C. Kathy. Okay, let me tell you who I got. I heard Larry K., Katie G., Melanie C., somebody L., And then I can't read my own writing. Somebody H, Nancy, and Kathy. Who was the L that I missed? Helen. Helen L. Okay. And then there was somebody L A something H. Laura H. Pardon me. Laura H. Deborah. Is that Deborah H? Laura. Laura L A R A. L-A-U-R-A, yep. Okay, Laura H., Nancy, Kathy. Okay, there was a Carol G. And a Clay H. Okay, we'll see if we can wait. Did you get Melissa, too? I had Melissa, she was in there, thanks. Yeah, I got Melissa. Okay, thank you. I've got a long list here, so let me just tell you everybody I've got. Larry K., Katie G., Melanie C, Helen L, Laura H, uh, Kathy, Carol G, and Clay H. And was there a Nancy anywhere in that group, or is that just my ears? No? Okay, great. Let's start. Larry K, can you start us off, please, followed by Katie G. Sure, Lynn. Thanks so much, Larry K, Recovered Compulsive Reader. And I'm from Chicago. Um, yeah, um, Ernie, uh, he he did teach us a lot, like Harlan mentioned. And um, you know, you you do not have to work the, this program the way it was intended by our founders. There's no there's no laws here. You can work this any way you want. The only desire for membership is merely a desire to stop uh, eating compulsively. To stop drinking, you're welcome here. You could go your entire life working it according to the way you want to work it. Now, the program, you know, the program evolved and Ernie came in and, you know, I, I don't stand in judgment of anyone. Who, who am I to stand? I got here on a roaring losing streak. So rest assured, I judge nobody. We can look, though, and we can see that Ernie did not work this program the way it was intended by our founders. You know, if we, if we don't change, if we don't do the work, 
we will stay stuck in the quicksand. And no matter, the, the interesting thing about quicksand is, from what I understand, I've never been in quicksand, but the more you thrash about in quicksand, the faster you'll go, you'll go down. The only way that you can be saved if you're in, in quicksand, if someone pulls you out, that's it. I can remember, I, I do some, some, some uh, you know, grief counseling and so forth for, you know, for um, catastrophic types of situations. And there was a guy, he, uh, you know, when you, when you go to a corn mill a plant, I don't know much about him, but, you know, they have these big silos and the grain, you know, can get stuck when it's humid. And there's certain ways you have to go about getting it unstuck, and it could be catastrophic. And the reason I was out there was a man, uh, he did get stuck. He had been working there 30 years, and uh, he tried to loosen the, the corn, and he didn't, he didn't have a harness on and so forth. And he was a great man. I say was, he's, he's dead. That grain began to come down, and... Uh, and, you know, by the time it's up to your uh, knees, it's a recovery operation at that point. You can't pull yourself out from there. You're going to need to be saved. And, you know, Ernie didn't work, apparently didn't work this program, at least the way it was intended and evolved. He remained, he remained uh, selfish, self-centered. Now, he probably was a good man. I'm sure he did a lot of good things. I'm sure you do a lot of good things. We all try, right? A lot of times we have good intentions, but the road, you know, to, uh, to hell for me was paved with good intentions. See, I needed to be saved. Thank God for these steps. It's action. It's action, and it's more action. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you, Larry K. Katie G., it's your turn, followed by Melissa C. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, my fellows. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic in Boston. What a beautiful paragraph. Thank you all for your sharing. Yeah, I mean, I I love that they said, <clears throat> excuse me, they knew they had to do this, right, to remain sober or abstinent, but that motive became secondary, and it was transcended. It was overcome by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. Now, I'm not going to say on this line that I'm... Uh, given out my home and, and that I have these slender re- resources, I, I, you know, I haven't experienced what they're talking about, but I, in that exact specification, but I absolutely like my primary purpose is to stay and somebody's unmuted is to stay abstinent and to help other women. And I do gladly devote my time to fellow sufferers. And it's not because I have to, it's because it's part of my DNA. You know, my husband, when he first met me, he's like, you know, yeah, I kind of was surprised about the amount of someone still unmuted about the amount of time that you spent on the phone. And then I just realized, you know, it was you and it's what made you, you, you. And, it is so amazing, and you know, I'm not just talking about sponsoring. I'm talking about returning calls, calling newcomers, um, you know, absolutely sponsoring, helping other women when they're in distress over a step, step ten, praying on the phone. Like, this has become part. Like, I fit my life into the bones of my program, and 
You know, I love too that it talks about experience distressing failures. It is distressing. But the, I'm not in the outcomes business. Like nobody said, okay, Katie, you're only going to stay abstinent if you have 15 sponsees and you make sure that they all go through the work because that's your responsibility and, you know, you've got to go in there and do it for them. It's you know, I try to carry this message to other food addicts, right, and practice these principles in all my affairs, and that's, that's really helpful for me. So I absolutely do find myself, you know, like filled up with the essence of this program, filled up, and I do love helping others. You know, um, life becomes intense for all of us, and throughout the book, like in the sex conduct inventory, um, in step 10, it says, you know, we need to clean up our side of the street, right? You're still unmuted, whoever just talked. We need to clean up what we're doing, and then we need to help others. And as somebody so eloquently put, like, like I've always thought, KDG, you have a problem. Now go into your room and think about it. Have a good think about it, right? But there's no chapter in the big book called Into Thinking. It's into action. And every day I'm reminded the quote-unquote problems that I have are so easily solved when I get out of the way, when I stop being the manager, and when I help others. God, God moves into the cracks when I'm getting out of the way. So what a privilege to be with all of you again this morning. And with that, I do pass. And thank you, Katie G. Melissa C., that's who I'm meaning. Did you speak up? Was it Melissa C. I heard? Yes. Hi. Thank you, Lynn. It's Melissa C. Recovered. Composed thank over you. here. And, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. Okay, great, great. Thanks. Um, yes, Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And um, you know, what, what grabbed me this morning was that um, they met him, it said, you know, after, after many failures, you know, with other people, and that he came to them through an acquaintance. And um, so, you know, like I think about this as my role now as a recovered person, um, I used to think that I didn't have to carry the message to um, people who didn't look like they needed the message. Like, I made judgments about people based on the physical. And, you know, just like the world, I felt discriminated against me when I was that. Um, I perhaps was discriminating against those that didn't look that. You know, like, that that was my... Um, litmus test, whether or not I needed to speak to you, um, you know, and, and tell you the whole truth. Like, if somebody asked me, you know, Melissa, what did you do? Like, oh, my God, you know, uh, you lost a lot of weight and you've been keeping it off. And, you know, I used to make judgments that um, if you didn't look heavy, I said something really, like, basic, like, oh, you know, I just, no, no big surprise. I don't need, um, you know, I don't eat the foods that are problem food, or I said something really simplistic, and, you know, what I realize here is we don't know how the message gets to people, and, you know, it doesn't mean that I tell the entire world my whole story, but I certainly don't gloss it over. You know, when I'm asked, um, even by acquaintances who don't look like they might need, I don't know who's in their life, and truthfully, I don't know what their secrets are. You know, there's plenty of people in our fellowship who appear quite normal on the outside. Um, I think about myself when I had lost weight at different times. Um, I may have looked normal for a small amount of time, but I was binging again and crazy. And 
Um, and so who am I to determine who gets to hear the truth and who doesn't? You know, if this is my, if this is my experience, strength, and hope, um, I don't have to keep it a secret. I can share it. And, and upon further reflection, I came into OA from, like, a third-party word-of-mouth acquaintance who didn't look like they needed to hear this message, and somehow it trickled down to me. You know, and so, and the other thing is that as a sponsor, um, I cannot be invested too deeply in, in the outcome, although there is no greater joy than watching people recover who then go on to help other people recover. That's, like, the best part of this. Um, I'm a second-grade teacher by trade, and I don't get Time to see all, yeah, so I'll just quickly close up. I don't get to see my students get their master's degree. And so it's the same thing with my sponsorship. All I do is my small part. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Melissa C. Helen L., it's your turn, followed by Laura H. Good morning, everyone. This is Helen L. from Pembroke, Canada. I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you, everybody, for your service. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've studied this this book for some years now, but I've never, you know, I love the way that things jump out at me, new things jump out at me, depending where I am on my in my recovery. <clears throat> what stood out for me this morning was after several failures to find others, a fourth turned up, and um, and on the following pages, so they experienced a few distressing failures. And I thought to myself, now what would motivate them? And um, and so the word felt, not thought, not um, believed, felt. They felt they had to give to others what they had found or be sunk. And so what that tells me is that they know that this is true from the deep inside. So it's a message of acceptance and um, knowledge and trust in a higher power. And that's what I'm getting from this today. You know, he, um, after several failures, the next line, a fourth turned up. He came through an acquaintance who had heard the good news. So despite the fact that they had several failures, they persisted. They continued to do the work and let God do do the work with them. And, and eventually somebody else turned up. Um, and so I'm really glad to be on the line this morning to have heard that um, because I really do want to be gladly devoted. I don't want to feel like I need some reward out of doing this. I mean, I know, I trust and believe that I will get it if I keep working at it. Um, but this is just a great reminder to me that um, I need to be in grateful service to others. And, um, you know, as, as, as I go through my path of, to recovery, um, you know, I'm really glad that Vision is here for me and that you're all here for me because you teach me a lot. Thank you so much. Helen from Pembroke, I'll pass. Thank you, Helen L. Laura H., it's your turn, followed by Kathy. Good morning. This is Laura H., recovering in Chicago. May I be heard? Yes, thank you. So you see, there were three alcoholics. You know, it's really touched my heart because it's identifying in three souls who have had their life turned upside down by this awful, debilitating, demoralizing 
disease. And they have the good news. This is awesome. There is hope in this text. And there is proof. So for me, coming into the rooms of OA, weighing close to 350 pounds, I felt so hopeless and so I, I was in the darkest, darkest tunnel of addiction, despair. Um, I hated myself. I couldn't, I couldn't function, and I didn't even know it. Because um, unfortunately, my disease tells me I don't have a disease. So, um, and then on top of page 50, 159, he suffered horribly from his sprees, but it seemed as if nothing could be done for him. So then we have these, these people come together. And together we get better. And I have the opportunity each and every day to talk with other people on this journey. And I would be totally lost if I didn't have my sponsor. And I also would be so sad if I didn't get to talk with others and work the steps with them. Because it's only in working the steps with others that I grow closer to my HP and that I can learn and accept where where I am in life. And um and it's not, you know, I somebody said on the line earlier, this is not working the steps, we we hear it on the lines all the time. It's a simple program, but you know, you have to do the steps in order. I like your hair's on fire. You know, we all know that, but it's not always easy. Like I'm working with someone right now at the five AM call and, you know, she had she had a rough go and so I can understand I've been there, I've done that, and, and it's it's tricky. And so here's hope. We have hope. And I'm so grateful to be here today. I'm so grateful you're all on the lines. Thank you very much. With that, I pass. And thank you, Laura H. There was a Kathy, but I didn't get your last initial. Hi, this is Kathy G. from Illinois. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for being here today. Um, Seriously, I just can't imagine being in this recovery without you, so thank you. Uh, this paragraph really jumped out at me because of something um, I went through this weekend in my life, and um, the line that says, though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober, that motive became secondary it was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. And I cannot believe that I'm actually able to say this. That's how I just know that this program is working. As a friend of ours in the program says, it's not if we want it, if we need it, but if we do it, and I'm actually doing it, and that's why it's working. And circumstances do not matter. I had to put um, my precious dog down this weekend on Saturday after having her for 10 years. And literally a, a fellow healer on my healing journey, you know, for the past 10 years. And I loved her with all my heart. And I was able to fully grieve this weekend. It's funny, it was raining in the Chicago area all weekend. And I, I was crying in the rain all weekend, through the weekend. And even in the midst of that, I knew that to keep my recovery, that I had to reach out and help others. So I called newcomers, I got on the line, 
And even yesterday, um, there was someone on the line I was able to reach out and help and encourage. And it gave me this happiness in the midst of this loss that I can just for myself say was only from God. And I am just so grateful to have this program and that it really does work when we work it. So thank you. With that, I will pass. And thank you, Kathy G. Carol G., it's your turn, followed by Clay H. Carol G., press star one to unmute. No, Carol G. I'm hearing things. I'm sorry. Clay H., it's your turn. Hi. Uh, This is Clay. Uh, Can you hear me? Hi. Yep. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, So, yeah, this is, I think, my third third or fourth vision for you um, meeting. So I'm still getting used to the, the energy and the message and the way the message is coming through in these meetings. And I'm inspired and I'm curious. And um, first of all, it's clear um, that it's very directed towards the text of the big book. So um, uh, one thing that struck me, uh, I guess I'll say one thing that struck me about the reading, and then I'll talk more about my own personal experiences. After several failures to find others, a fourth turned up. And it made me realize, and it, it made me curious about this. Um, one of the one of the twelve traditions is, or maybe, yeah, I don't know where it is in the big book, but it's something about we are we work by um, attraction rather than promotion. And I kind of wonder what where the line is in people's experience. Um, I know that uh, when I first I had an experience where I showed up to a meeting and the meeting was late an in-person OA meeting and there was a girl there and it was her first time and it was just her and I and we talked for a long time and I'm I'm new to the program but I'm I'm so inspired and I found myself talking more about my spiritual experience that I've had since joining OA more than about what I'd been through before um and I really was I was trying to listen to her energetically like Am I am I am I turning her like she's smiling, but is she really smiling? Is she scared by this? Like, am I coming off too religious? And um, I've called her. She's she's reached out to me on several occasions for asking for support, but it's like she doesn't really want to hear spiritual answer. She wants me to give her psychological help, and I've told her, well, I can't really give you psychological help. All I can tell you is about a spiritual program. But there's that there's that question of me of um not wanting to minister to anybody, not wanting to profess anything. It's like I know for myself, I just it wasn't just that I um I knew of OA and no no one found me. I found I got myself to the room and I Whoops, Clay, we've lost you there. Okay, sorry, it seems that we've lost Clay H. We have time for one more three-minute share. Who would like that time? This is Paula. I heard Paula. 
Would you like to go ahead, Paula? Is that Paula D? That would be Paula D. Thank you. Sure. This is Paula D. Recovered by and with the grace of God. And here we see the grace of God in action. You know, as I was listening, and I was listening, in a different depth, you know, it says here on the top of the page, he suffered horribly from his freeze, but it seems as if nothing he could could be done for him. That's his story. At that point, nothing could be done for him. And he knew the truth of it. And that's where the change comes about. He knew the truth. He consented. And I'm reading it as it's written. Can you see what opens up here? And then he talks about the visitors. We never know the outcome. But here you do. The way you fellows talk to spiritual Spiritual stuff makes sense. I don't understand what happened at that precise moment that it made sense, and it didn't make sense before. But this is why we continue to do what we do in this program. When we are recovered, something opens up within you, and it says on 164, doesn't it say you transmit And this is what happened in that room, I believe, with everything within me. Something transmitted to him, and he received it. See, you're not in control of the receiver. And then it says, and it was read before, if they could remain sober, the, the motive became secondary. It became secondary? Yeah. Imagine. Everything in my life was, I was first. Then when I became recovered, everything changed. I didn't have the need or the want to be first anymore. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. Isn't that what it says? We'll learn the full meaning, the full meaning of love thyself and love thy neighbor. It comes together. It can't be separated. You cannot love another without loving yourself. You cannot love yourself without loving another. Here is where we see it. They shared their homes. Look at what they shared. They shared everything about themselves. <laughs> sure wasn't in a sharing place before I was recovered. Today I understand. I am so grateful for the time that I was given. And here it says they grew in numbers. They grew in numbers. They experienced a few distressing failures. Were they failures? Who's to know? I have no idea what tomorrow brings, not for me or not for another. So they give sincerely. And then it ends with to bring the man's family into a spiritual way of living, thus relieving much worry and suffering, much worry and suffering. So I don't worry about the the person that I speak with, and I don't suffer for him. I have relieved myself so then I can go on to the next, knowing that God is still working in their lives. I thank you for this reading and the people that wrote this book so long ago. My goodness, and here it's going on, transcending decades, generations. Thank you again for allowing me this time to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And thank you to everyone who shared this morning. And to Team Tuesday, June S., Stacy T., Nessa R., Lisa H., Elizabeth H., and Russ M. 
Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for today, Tuesday, October the 17th, is 10554. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Lisa H., will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, Lisa H. here, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.